0: The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. As we said in our call to worship, generosity is the quality of being kind Plentiful, abundant, lavish, not selfish, willing to share, generous in spirit. For this three-part series of sermons, we're going to be following um, the triangle. I introduced the triangle at the congregational meeting that we had uh, about a month ago and then brought it up I think last week in in our uh, concluding series on, uh, on conflict. And this triangle is going to lead us through our conversation on generosity because it unpacks for us what this looks like using the three different what we call relational dimensions of our lives it looks like this so we have three different relational dimensions how do we relate upward towards God or our relationship with with God with with Jesus with the Holy Spirit what about our inward relationships look around the room this is our inward relationships with people who also worship Jesus other Christians and then our outward relationship to the broader city of Hamilton and our world at large, okay? Upward relation to God, inward relation to each other, outward relationships to our worlds. And so today we are focusing on our upward relationships. What does it look like for us to be generous towards God? I think if we were to ask most people, just in general, about generosity. Is it a good thing to be generous? I think you would, if, you, if you stood on the corner of, of Jackson Square and asked people, I'd say you'd probably bat around 700 with people affirming that statement. That it is good to be generous. It's good for our society for people to be generous. It's good for, it feels good to, to be generous and to give. But generosity is also a sticky wicket because the monthly budget is tight. Everything is more expensive now, right? Inflation is is a thing, and groceries are more expensive, and gas is more expensive, and Christian school tuition is more expensive. Even if you're a student— What does generosity mean for you when there's so many constraints on time, on possessions, on money? Christian school tuition isn't the only tuition that is expensive. Can I get an amen? Right? Time. It seems as though coming out of the, the pandemic over the last two and a half years, that our time is more valuable or more constrained than it was before how do how often um, do we talk about our capacity or lack thereof in conversations with people there's also difficult life stages or life circumstances you know for some of us we haven't fully recovered from the last few years of the pandemic emotionally financially uh, mentally um, Maybe you're at the stage with having little rugrats running around the house and you're thinking, what does it mean for me to be generous with this kind of thing going on? Or maybe it's different. Maybe there's, um, there's teenagers that are really everywhere, every night of the week, and you're like, I can't even imagine how this, how this works. Or maybe you have a child with disabilities and, and life is really, really hard. Or you require more care from other people. Maybe you're at that stage of your life and rely on care from others. For all of these factors, generosity can seem like an impossible hurdle to get over. What does it look like for me? Enter the Apostle Paul, who tells us that we are to be generous in all life circumstances. And we think, hold on a second, surely God or Paul can't mean me. Surely, God understands my situation. And so what does the Bible say about generosity towards God? In the thick of it, as a parent, as a student, as a grandparent, as an elderly person, as a person with mental or physical disabilities, or a person going through really hard times, what does that look like? What's really interesting about this passage in Second Corinthians Is that Paul makes it abundantly clear that our generosity flows out of our relationship with God in verse 10 he says that we will be enriched in every way by God so that we can be generous in every situation it's a very bold statement How can this be? Well, I think we have to pay attention to how Paul talks about who God is in this passage that unlocks for us what it means to be generous. The first, we have to see that God is a God who gives, He is a God who invites, and He is a God who transforms. He is a God who gives, He is a God who invites, and He is a God who transforms. So first, let's look at the God who gives to us. Most of us can recognize that Paul has used a farming illustration in this passage. How many of you picked that up? It's like the first question on a test. Yes, I know the answer, right? Paul used a farming illustration to tell us about generosity. He says, whoever sows sparingly, whoever throws seed sparingly, will also reap sparingly. But who throws generously will also reap generously. And we're thinking, okay, this makes sense. That is very logical. But we don't often sense the irony behind Paul's words. And I didn't until I read uh, somebody who was a lot smarter than me, who knew the original language, and was able to point something out to me that I didn't know. And that is that what what Paul's getting at when he makes this statement, it's something that goes way, 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 way back in Israel's history to when they fled from Egypt. When they when they, uh, you know, when God set them free from the Egyptians and they were wandering the desert, desert, they got hungry. And the Lord generously provided for them. Does anyone know how God provided for them? You can shout it out. Manna. He provided manna for them in the wilderness. And manna is, is such a great word because it really literally means, what is this? I love it. The provision of food for the Israelites in the desert. Every day, except for Sunday, God rained down food from heaven so that they could gather, reap Generously. This is an incredible story of God's generosity that stuck with the Israelites even when they entered the promised land, even when they arrived at the promised place, and it stuck with them. One Bible scholar put it like this for me. He says, Israel's lesson in the wilderness was intended to prepare them for the promised land. It was to prepare them. For the promised land, in which there would be seed to plant and crops to reap, not only in the wilderness, but also in the land itself, Israel learned that the progress of the field comes as a sheer gift from God. What What this Bible scholar is telling us here is that the manna is the most perfect example of God's generosity because israel reaped generously and yet they sowed absolutely nothing this idea continued throughout the story of israel to the time of the prophet isaiah who reminds the people that god is the source of the seed And so this farming illustration is used by Paul to call to mind something that these people already know. That everything that they have, including the very seed that they sow, has been given to them by God. He is one step behind the visible, tangible thing that they possess. The Corinthians definitely struggled with this. Corinth was a prosperous place, and unfortunately, the more prosperous a place, the more we believe that we provide for ourselves. Paul is asking the question here, who provided the seed for the field? Who made it possible to reap generously? Or in 1 Corinthians, his first letter to these people, what do you have that you did not receive? 2,000 years later, we struggle with the same thing. This is my time. This is my house. This is my bank account. We struggle to see God as the giver behind the things that we have too. And because we struggle to see God as the giver of all the things we have, we are in severe danger of, of something that is is a spiritual cancer that eats us from the inside out and what it is is that when we struggle to see god as the giver of all things we actually pull our security our control and our identity out of the character of god as provider and put it into our money or our time or our possessions it is so hard to see sometimes. But many of us struggle, myself included, at times, to, to see money standing in the place of God himself. It's so easy to feel secure when there's a number in our bank account. It's so easy to feel comfortable with the things that we can buy. It's so easy to get our identity from living in a certain tax bracket or having a certain status money is one of the most dominant idols in our society and the reason why this is so important for us to name when we are talking about generosity is because idolatry kills a generous spirit Because if we place our source of comfort and security and identity in what we are able to provide, when we are asked to give, we're giving more than just money. If for us, money also represents our identity or our comfort or our security, when we give our money, We give a piece of our security as well, a piece of our identity, a piece of our comfort. And so when money becomes too important for us, it's impossible to give it away. It's impossible to be generous. And so idolatry kills a generous spirit. And so Paul is reminding us, and probably himself too, because Paul's human, and at times, he even calls himself the chief of sinners. That, that money, time, and possessions are not just false gods and terrible gods. Or they're not just terrible gods. They're also false gods. Because we fail to see who gave us the time of the day. What did you do to cause yourself to wake up this morning? other than set the alarm. How much did you contribute to the oxygen that you're breathing right now? What did you do in order to make sure that you were born? Or born in Canada? Or given the opportunity you were? We're far less able to provide for ourselves than we realize. Yes, hard work plays a part, don't get me wrong in that, but but we're not nearly as in control of our lives than we think. What is so important for us to know as Christians is this: from start to finish, the Bible gives us a generous God. In the beginning, God creates us out of an overflow of his love. Gives us all the seed-bearing plants in the garden. He creates a place for us to live in relationship with him, to experience the abundance of his character. And when we sin, he made covenant promises and put his generosity on display. I will be your God, you will be my people, even when we turned our backs on him. God sets his people free from slavery by his generosity. He provides for them in the wilderness. He gives them the law as a way to live in accordance with his love. He gives the promised land as an inheritance. And most of all, he's given us Jesus Christ, the one who took our sin upon his shoulders. And he will eventually come again and give us all things when the new heavens and the new earth come. God is a generous giver He is behind everything that we have. And he invites us to join him in his work. And that's the amazing thing. So here's part two of this sermon. God invites us. That despite our sin, God continues to want to be with us and invites us to work with him. Paul's invitation to generosity is is so radical because it flips on its head how we think about what it means to be generous in the first place. Going back to the uh, farming illustration that Paul is—Paul is, is, Paul tells us—I'll I'll start, start with a Bible verse instead of going off track right away. Verse 8 tells us that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all times— Having all that you need, you will abound in not more possessions, not more things, not more time, but in every good work. I think that's so fascinating that the reason for God blessing us with abundance is so that we can abound in work. What work? The work of farming the world with God. Okay, so here is where you may have been wondering what this bouquet of flowers is doing here. Um, It's it's a sermon illustration. And and it's picking up on what Paul is talking about when he he brings up this this farming illustration and and pairs it with our work in the world. He says, you know, we are like farmers. and, And we have been given... There's a packet of of seed we have been given seed god has given to us the seed to sow abundantly but but we know that when when you sow seed we don't get more seed right when, when a farmer goes and sows their seed in the field what rose is not the seed itself it's something entirely different it is a flower it's something it's something beautiful it's something fragrant it's something that that looks wonderful to our eyes that that transforms carbon into oxygen that gives pollen for bees that there's so many things that but that comes from the seed it is an incredible work of transformation This is the work that God invites us to. God invites us through generosity to participate in the work of transformation. When you drive through the flower fields and you see that, that abundance, you can remind yourself of the work that God invites you into through generosity, with your time, with your money, with your resources, with everything you've got. God takes it, when you sow it, He turns it into something completely different. Now, what would happen, though, if a farmer sowed sparingly? If, if a farmer was given the seed, and instead of sowing it, they put it in a jar, and they put it under their mattress, and they kept it safe. Would we call that person tight-fisted? Would we call that person selfish? Would we call that person self-absorbed? No, we'd call that person foolish because they have completely misunderstood the purpose of the seed in the first place. And this is the amazing thing about what Paul is saying here is that to participate in the work of God means seeing the things we've been given in a completely different way. We are like farmers who take the resources God has given us, our time, our money, our possession, our energy, and we use it in the work of transformation that God has called us to. And God is in the transformation business. He transforms lives. He transforms community. He transforms our world And makes it new and at first hamilton this is actually our vision to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with god in the work of transformation in our city and world and one of the core values that brings us in this direction is generous stewardship i think for this reason reading paul's uh, writings on generosity we could say that that perhaps this core value of ours, this thing that we would like to commit ourselves to as a community, is the first domino in a long train of dominoes that gets the train of transformation moving. Without generosity, our church is not able to actually live into this vision. It takes a generous spirit in order to transform The world and what's so incredible about God is he doesn't force us into this kind of generosity he invites us to participate with him Paul is very clear in here I don't know if you noticed that when Petra read this for us that each person should give freely and actually Paul says to in he wants people to decide ahead of time what they give so that they're not under pressure not under compulsion to give in any sort of way and in fact the background context to this passage is that paul is going to be taking up an offering for the community in jerusalem who's experienced a famine and they're in need of resources and paul's warned the corinthian church A year ahead of time, people say, that this is going to be coming. So they've had time to pray about it, to prepare themselves. He doesn't want them to feel pressure. He wants them to feel the invitation to give to a community that's in need. But he is encouraging us to see that it's through our generosity that we join with God in what he is doing. Now, maybe you've been tracking with me up until this point maybe i've convinced you that generosity is in the bible that god is a generous god that we participate with him by being generous in ourselves but how do we actually get there how do we move in this direction when we're asked to be generous oftentimes the question is okay well how much what is a generous christian And what is the number that I have to give to get there? And this is the strange part. There is none. Nowhere in the New Testament does Paul give us a number. Jesus doesn't. Paul doesn't. None of the other biblical authors in the New Testament don't. In the Old Testament, we often name the number as 10%. But that is actually not... A full truth, that's actually a minimum, and that's a minimum based on income and outcome, on what you've earned and what you spend, 10% of both. And so the 10% number really doesn't really make sense. Instead, what Paul instructs us to do in this passage, as he says in verse 13, is to be generous on the basis of the gospel. Paul says, others will praise God for the obedience, the generosity, that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. So generosity, that obedience, is tied to our confession of the gospel of Christ. It flows out of our confession of Jesus as our Savior. Have you ever heard the name Zacchaeus before? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Before Zacchaeus met Jesus, he was a selfish, proud, cheating tax collector. He hoarded his possessions. He stole money. And then one day, he met Jesus. Here came Jesus down the road, a Jewish rabbi. Zacchaeus wanted to see him, so he climbed up a tree because he was short. And Jesus got to the spot and looked up and saw Zacchaeus in the tree. And he said to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And for the first time, maybe in Zacchaeus' life, somebody saw him for who he really was. Someone who looked past all of the things that he had done, all the shame that he felt, all of the guilt that he had accumulated. Jesus saw him. And that did not stop Jesus from going to Zacchaeus' house, eating a meal with that man, which would have been radical for a rabbi to do. And when that happened to Zacchaeus, a coin dropped. N.T. Wright puts it like this. Because of Jesus... Zacchaeus doesn't offer to sell all his property, nor does Jesus demand it. But by the time that Zacchaeus had given half of it away and made fourfold restitution where necessary, remember, Zacchaeus gave back to everyone who he had stolen from. More than what he had actually stolen. He was generous in giving back. Zacchaeus would have found himself in seriously reduced circumstances but he doesn't care. He found something more valuable. He found Jesus. When you find Jesus, it does the same thing. You know, all the things that you try to hide from people, Jesus knows about. All the things that you feel shame for, Jesus sees. But the cross shows us that nothing that we can do can ever stop him from loving us. He is willing to go to the cross for you, to give you an abundant life. The more Jesus becomes The source of your security, the less you'll rely on money, time, and possessions to do that. The more that Jesus becomes your identity, that his eyes for you are the only eyes that really matter in the world. When Jesus looks at you and smiles, that's the best thing in the world. When you get that feeling, it loosens your grip on the other things that we are so tempted to fill that hole. God wants to pour down blessing on us, as Paul says here. He wants to give us more and more of himself, but we can't, he can't do that when we're so tight-fisted, relying on other things. And so the gospel is the power that transforms us so that we can open up our hands and receive The manna from heaven and we will say the same thing what is this that God is so good the gospel makes us radically generous people in every situation because generosity is not a number it is an attitude of the heart each of us is challenged by these words no matter how much or how little you give of your time of your money of possessions everyone is challenged by jesus words and if we want to grow in our generosity as a church if we want to experience more of the lord's generosity in our lives we need to open up our hands too let me offer two concluding thoughts on how this might um, happen for us what can we do to to grow in our generosity the first is we need to read our bibles more we need to read the words of scripture more often to ourselves and to each other i was reflecting on something that a uh, pastor said uh the other day when, when commenting on on the news cycle and he said if we don't get to our bibles before we get to cnn our metric be off we will interpret everything through a different lens if we get to our bibles before we get to the news we are met with a generous god we are met with a god who provides for us who relieves anxiety who is transforming the world and that will change how you see everything else in your day get to your bibles first and read them often Eat it as if you were eating your oatmeal for breakfast. And the second thing is look at your budget. Look at your calendar. Look at your household with this question in mind. How would, how much generosity will it take to force me more into the hands of Jesus? Tim Keller is famous for saying that you should give Enough to make you gulp. You know what I'm talking about? That will that, that question is aimed to help us loosen our grip on money as the means of our comfort, our identity, and our happiness. Give enough to get you there. If you're not giving anything, maybe five dollars is what that takes. If you're giving five thousand and you're comfortable, maybe you need to increase it to 15,000. I don't know. What amount of money forces you into the hands of Jesus? It's the same with our time, it's the same with our possessions. Freely have we received, freely let us give. Let's pray together. God, you are a generous giver who invites us into the work of transformation and transforms our very hearts. As we struggle with this in the midst of a world that is clawing for for us to put our identity into other things, we pray that you would constantly remind us that you are all that we need that you will provide everything that we could imagine. God, we know that you, um, from start to finish in the scriptures, have been a God of generosity. Help us to, to really believe that today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.